0: the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Hey, a few years ago, I was in the 10th grade, and so I had to take a 10th grade geometry class. And if you know me, you know I'm absolutely terrible at math. Like, I literally cannot do it. I need a calculator for two plus two. I am awful. And let's just be honest, like 10th grade Evan already was like, come on, why do I need this? Like, can we just pause? Like, if there's any math teachers, specifically geometry in the room, please come see me. But I don't know why you need it. And I didn't know it then. And so far, I mean, haven't used it yet. It's not my job. Like, I'm sorry. Dad's never walked in and be like, I need an isosceles triangle by Friday, you know? I can't imagine like a life or death situation where somebody's dying on the street and I'm like, we need a parallelogram stat, you know? Like, come on, let's get him. Like, I don't know. So I'm like, already in geometry. I don't really know why I need it, anyways. I'm bad at math. And I'm sitting here thinking if I'm going to get a good grade in this class, I am going to have to sacrifice. Like I'm going to have to try, I'm going to have to pay attention, I'm going to have to take all of these notes, I'm going to have to stay late, get a tutor, all of these things. Like if I am going to succeed, I know that I'm going to have to sacrifice And so in my 10th grade wisdom, I did none of that. And so after several months of talking with my friends and goofing off and not really trying, I got to two weeks left in the quarter. And they give you an update on your grade, and I had a 58 in geometry. (laughs) Not good. And so I looked at that moment, and for some reason in the back of my brain, I was like, I should be able to goof off and still make an A, but it didn't work out like that. And so then I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, I can either sacrifice or I can die because my parents will kill me on the spot. And so thankfully, with two weeks left, I just worked my tail off. I had a big test and all these things. I got it up to a high C and I'm alive to preach this sermon to you today. But man, I did not want to sacrifice. I wanted a good grade, but I wanted it without the work, without the sacrifice. I think it's interesting that when we take a look at our relationship with Jesus, many of us want the benefits of Jesus. We want God's glory. We want eternal life. We want God's favor, but we want it without the sacrifice. That we want Jesus to be our best friend, we want God to be our father, we want all of the benefits of being a Christian, but we don't want to give up anything else in the world. That we think we can cling to Jesus and cling to the world at the same time, but it will never work out like that. Listen to me today, you cannot serve Jesus and the world, you're either all in or you're all out, and it's as simple as that. The problem is that we've lied to ourselves that there's some kind of middle ground. I can serve God in money, but the moment Jesus comes knocking on your bank account, you've left the church. Yeah, I can serve God in the weekend, but the moment that Jesus says, hey, you need to give up the Clemson Tigers for a while. You need to come serve with your family. You need to be in church. You're mad at God for taking away your relaxation. The reality is, is that you can't cling to Jesus and the world. And my question to you today is, who are you living for? Is it Jesus? Is it the world? Let me me, me phrase it like this. Who have you died to? Have you died to the world? Or have you died to Jesus? Who do you love more? Your stuff and your temporary pleasure, or the eternal God, the Lord Jesus? That's the question Jesus is asking us today. And that's why we're looking at the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark beginning in chapter eight. Now here's what's going on. Throughout the entire gospel of Mark, Jesus has showed up on the scene, proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is here. And then there's all kinds of momentum. I mean, the kingdom has come in power. He's raising the dead, healing the sick, opening up blind eyes, casting out demons. I mean, Jesus is on a roll and it is awesome. And so he's doing all of these amazing things. And then right before our passage today, there is this just like momentous shift within the disciples. Because the whole time, they didn't really get who Jesus was, but they had a light bulb moment. That he's not just some guy, he's the savior of the world. So he looks at Him and he goes, who does the world say that I am? And they say, well, you're John the Baptist or Elijah or some other prophet. But he said, but who do you say I am? The apostle Peter, speaking up for the group, says, you are Jesus the Christ the Messiah, the Savior, and now God's crew, God's disciples are on this high, like this high point, like they are feeling good, they found out who Jesus is, and then Jesus proceeds to drop a nuclear bomb on their party, he's like, you're right, I am the the Messiah, I am the Savior, I've come to save the world, now here's my game plan, are you ready, verse 31, and he began to teach them, That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Man, they are feeling good. We finally got the Savior. We finally found our king. And he said, all right, here's what I'm doing next. I'm going to get rejected, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. Who's with me? And they're kind of like, are you serious? And then the apostle Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him back. And he says, Peter, the reason you're rebuking me is because you can't see God's plan. You're too busy looking at the world. You're too busy looking at what is temporary and materialistic to realize I want to bring victory through death. Because what Peter saw was Jesus losing his kingdom, losing his crown, his authority, his influence, his very life. He saw Israel losing freedom from the Roman Empire and peace and righteousness and prosperity. The apostle saw in his own life that because he was so tight with Jesus, he expected a, a, a high position in the kingdom of God. And now it was all fading away before his eyes. His eyes were focused on the worldly and the material, and he couldn't see past that. And Jesus says that anyone who would keep me from going to the cross is doing the work of Satan because it's focused on the here and now and not the supernatural and the eternal. And that's why he turns to the crowd and he he takes it upon himself to have a moment of teaching. Verse 34, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus presents us with a black and white opportunity. You either follow me all the way, even unto death, or you live for yourself, but you've got to choose those two. You either live for me and die for me, or you live for this world, but that's it. And Jesus' call here is so serious. It is beyond figurative or metaphorical. When Jesus says, you have to die for me, he means if it comes about, you better die for me. In fact, all of the apostles except John, they were martyrs. They tried to kill John. They set him on fire. He wouldn't burn, and they shipped him off to Patmos. But everybody else, they were martyrs. But more specifically, Mark's audience needed this. See Mark when he was writing everything down, he wasn't. <clears throat> excuse me, writing it as it was happening. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark sometime after 64 A.D. And in 64 A.D., something happened that was called the Great Fire. A fire broke out in Rome and burned half the city. Well, it comes. They, they kind of found out later on through historians that the Emperor Nero was actually the one who set the city on fire. And the rumor kept swirling around and he he couldn't crush it that he was the one who set the fire. So he had to find a scapegoat and he chose the Christians. So he rounded the Christians up, persecuted them or or convicted them on trumped up charges and began to murder them. Y'all, they would take Christians and put animal hide and flesh on them and watch them be eaten alive by dogs in the Roman Colosseum. And they didn't even do anything. Nero would take Christians and light them on fire and put them on a pole to light the city at night. He would bring people over to his estate and watch burning Christians like we watch fireworks. And he would take Christians and he would quite literally crucify them like our savior. When Jesus says, you better be prepared to die for me, it's either all me or none of me, he means it. And as Mark's writing this down, he's writing to the persecuted Christians, and he's going, I know you have to sacrifice. I know it will cost you everything, but this is what Christ commands. Because the only other option is death. That's why he says, beginning in verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is basically saying this, you can die to yourself now, and you can live with me forever when I come back. Or you can live a little while right now, but you will die forever separated from me. Make your choice. Growing up, my dad had this saying, and he still uses it. He used to tell me and Jaron, "You can either pay now or play later, or you can play now and you can pay later." Like so, he would use that to kind of teach us, you know, "Hey, when you get home, just go ahead do your homework. That way, you can chill for the rest of the evening." Well. Um, one year, Jaron learned this lesson the hard way. Side note, Jaron promises we cannot preach a sermon without mentioning his name. And so far, he's right. But I've just got a lot of good material. Anyways, so one year, Jaron was a senior in college. I was an 11th grader in high school. And Jaron was quite literally playing now. I mean, he played baseball for Charleston Southern and had to meet his duties. But at the same time, he had to do essays and papers and tests and all these different things. But he had no other choice but to play now and try and figure out how to pay now at the same time anyways. So one day he calls me up and he's like, Evan, I need you to do me a favor. I'm like, all right. He said, I need you to write a paper for me. I'm thinking in my mind, why would I waste my weekend for you? But then he said those sweet, sweet words, I'll pay you $50. And I said, would you like Chicago, APA, when do you need it by, you know? (laughs) Now, look, I am not saying that this is moral. I'm not saying that you should copy us. I'm just stating the facts, okay? We've repented since that we're good with the Lord. Anyways, he was so busy playing that he had to pay. By the way, I was in 11th grade, wrote a college paper, your boy got an A. Just wanted to throw that out there. Anyways, (laughs) sorry, feeling pretty good about myself. Anyways, man, he had to play then so he had to pay later. The reality of our walk with Christ is that there is no middle ground. You can either die to yourself now and live for Jesus no matter the cost, or you can live for this world and everything temporary in it, but you will be separated from Christ forever. End of story. But too often, we, don't want, we want Jesus, but we don't want the sacrifice. Man, we want resurrection life without the death. We want victory without a battle triumph, without a struggle, without suffering, but it doesn't work that way. And Jesus has presented us with an option and says, make your decision. You can't walk in a middle ground. You might think you can, but you can't. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God in money. You may think you're good, but the moment Jesus says, I want you to give, I want you to give to, to, to those who are less fortunate, I want you to live with an open hand, we get mad and we walk away and we say, Jesus, how dare you treat me like that? Because money is power, is wealth, is our retirement plan, is pleasure. Money is our everything. And Jesus is saying, I thought I was your everything reason we can't give up our weekends is, you know, hey, Jesus, I'm serving you. I love you. And he's like, hey, I need you to take a break and actually get to church Sunday. I need you to get off the lake. I need you to get out of Death Valley. I need you to be with your wife and kids. And we're like, Jesus, but when else am I going to relax? And he's like, I thought I was your rest. I thought I was your purpose. I thought I was your life. You can't stand in the middle. Maybe today, let's just be honest, you're an outright sinner, And you want all the benefits of praying a one-time prayer, but you want to live an outright sin because it feels good. I mean, it does feel good, though it's temporary, though it's material, though it doesn't last, and that's why you spend every weekend at your boyfriend or girlfriend's house. You spend every weekend with alcohol as your best friend. You spend every day doing whatever it is you're doing. But Jesus says, I've set the moral standard. you either in and you're out. Make your choice. And so I ask you again, who do you love more today? The temporary pleasures of this world are Jesus. Who do you serve today? The Lord Jesus Christ who wants to spend forever with you. or some little things that seem good in the moment. But you've got to make your decision today. Who will it be? But the reality is, and I'll be honest, is that the decision to die to yourself is not an easy decision. I mean, it's not. Death is unnatural. We were not created for death. And death to self is really, really difficult, honestly, and and we need to learn how to practice it. We need to learn how to train ourselves to die daily. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, when Luke records the story, he actually throws that word in there. He says, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross daily, you can't follow me. Jesus has called us not to just die on occasions, not to just be a martyr when it comes up. He calls us to die to ourself and our desires and our wants and our whatevers every single day. And a daily death, death takes practice. In fact, the earliest Christians knew this. As real persecution like like martyrdom began to to die down, they found new ways to consider themselves martyrs so that they could die for Christ. Many of them would take vows of celibacy because they would say, Lord, I'm gonna give up temporary pleasures, married life, family life, whatever it is. I'm gonna spend my days serving you. And there's actual writings in which they use the term, this is the new martyrdom. This is the way of dying to ourselves. There were monks in the earliest days. They would move out into the desert and live together and spend all day fasting and praying and ministering to people who would visit them and and, and living a life of death to self and life to Jesus. And oftentimes they spend five, ten years there, reappear in the city, and now that they've spent all these years practicing death to self, they'd have some of the most effective ministries you could dream of. all because they decided to train and to practice to die. I remember a few years ago in the early 2000s, there was one of the most iconic interviews ever released. Does anybody remember Alan Iverson? Y'all know I'm talking about the famous basketball player. There's three. We'll talk after service. Anyways, Alan Iverson was a famous basketball player, one of the best basketball players to ever step on the court. Well, in the early 2000s, he decided that he could skip a practice. He didn't really need to go there. He wasn't skipping a game, we're just talking about practice. And so, you know, he, he skipped the practice. He didn't really think he needed it. Well, he got in trouble with his coach, and he finally got in trouble with the media. So they sat down, and they asked him a bunch of questions on camera. And the funniest thing is that in a matter of minutes, Allen Iverson said the word practice about 22 and a half times. Just go ahead and watch the video real quick.
1: I tell you that I miss practice. If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice and y'all hear it, then that's that. I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. But if if somebody say he doesn't come to practice, it can be one practice. When you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Well, Coach I mean, it, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. <laughs> not a game. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man I got, right? But we're talking about practice right now. We're talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. It's funny to me too. I mean, it's strange to me too, but we're talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game.
0: I love it. I mean, just iconic. We ain't talking about the game, we're talking about practice. It's hilarious. Alan Iverson basically was just like, come on. Like, I'm a franchise player. I can miss a practice, and I think we're going to be all right. Right? He's just kind of, in a moment, undervalued practice. And I think it's funny that when it comes to our spiritual life, most of us think we don't actually need to practice. But we practice in every area of our life. We take our kids to soccer practice and band practice and ballet practice and whatever else. If you're going to get a presentation at your company, I can guarantee you spent all night practicing before. If you own a business or a service or whatever, I'm sure you kind of run it through a few times and make sure that it works, you practice it. Why would it be any different in our relationship to Jesus, especially something so difficult as death to self daily? But if we would learn to practice and to train to die to ourselves, we would begin to grow in the Lord in the ways that he wants us to. So what are some ways that we can learn to die to ourselves, that we can practice dying to ourselves daily? Well, those same desert monks, when they would be fasting all day, they would usually eat about one meal. And they adopted a Jewish Practice, sorry. Anyways, after that what they would do, they wouldn't pray before the meal, but actually after the meal. And they had a more formal prayer, but the content of their prayer after every meal went something like this. Lord, thank you for filling my stomach, but fill me with your spirit. Because I don't live for this world, I live for you. Every single meal, Lord, thanks for filling my stomach, but fill me with your spirit. I don't live for this world, I live for you. That takes no practice, that takes no sacrifice at all. We could start doing it today. Can you imagine some of us eat two, three meals a day if after every single meal we took five seconds to reorient our minds and reorient our hearts and say, Lord, thank you for this meal, but I don't live for this world, I live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Imagine what it could do for you at your workplace that at lunchtime you get done, Lord, fill me with your spirit, I live for you. How are you gonna interact with your coworkers and your boss and your customers that are driving you crazy? Imagine after praying that after breakfast, how are you gonna treat your kids who are driving you up the wall and you're about to slap somebody, you know what I mean? Like imagine if you prayed that prayer three times a day. It may not be effective on the first time or the fourth time or the sixth time, but as you make that a regular practice in your daily life, it'll actually begin to change the way you think, reorient your desires, and you wanna die to yourself and live to Christ daily. Daily. But what about the opposite end? <clears throat> what if we got a little bit more extreme? This is something we practice at High Praises annually. What about fasting? Fasting is a biblical practice where you just push back the plate, you don't eat a meal, and you can kind of take that same prayer and say, Lord, I didn't feel, fill my stomach because I live for you and not for this world. It's a way of denying yourself, denying your appetite, denying natural nourishment to seek after something greater and something spiritual. And then we live in the most prosperous society in the history of the world. Like we have so much food, we have an obesity problem. Do you know how rich you have to be to have that? And so for most of us, we're eating all the time. If we have the smallest desire, the smallest appetite, we can just fulfill it immediately. Can you imagine if more than just once a meal, you decided to practice pushing back the plate and saying, Lord, I don't need this. All I need is you. Can you imagine if you practiced self-denial and say, Lord, I care about you? So I want to encourage you, start to regularly fast. It can look like all kinds of different ways. You know we're going to fast as a church in January. What if you did it once a quarter and you just planned it? For a week, once a quarter, I'm going to fast. There are people like the earliest Christians, every Wednesday and Friday, they would practice a fast. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, would practice every single Wednesday. It was just a part of his life. What if you took up fasting as a way to die to yourself and live for Christ? But finally, I want to do something that I think will heavily challenge all of us. Another way that you can die to yourself is by opening up your pocketbook and giving. Because the reality is that many of us put money on the same pedestal as God. Because money can do a lot for us. Money's my security, money's my safety, money's my pleasure, money's my fun, money's my health. Money is everything to me. Most of us deep down believe if I could just have enough money, I'd never worry again. And the reality is that's just not true. And Jesus says a whole lot about money. Imagine if you practice regularly living life with an open hand. What if you practice giving to people that have needs? What if you practiced generosity Every time that you give that money, you're saying, Lord, I know money is powerful, but I need you way more than I need money. They can have it. I want to sow into the kingdom because all I really need is you. So I want to encourage you, if you know somebody, maybe a widow, maybe a single mother, someone like that, that is just struggling to just meet their most basic needs, give to them. If maybe you don't know somebody like that, find an organization you trust to steward your money well and give to them. One of the things I'm passionate about, there's an organization called Open Doors USA. They support persecuted Christians around the world. Give them housing, give them food, give them education. They give them trauma, care after something terrible has happened to their family or their community. They're there for him. Whatever it is, open up your hand and give. And the reality is, is that as you begin to train to die to yourself, whether it's pushing back the plate or opening up your wallet, you will actually experience victory in different areas of your life. Yeah, you might be pushing back the plate and denying yourself that way, but that sin that you've been stuck in for the past four years starts to get weaker and weaker and weaker. Why? Because you're denying yourself and you're living for Jesus. Yeah, you might just be opening up your wallet, but but that quick temper begins to die down over time because you're training yourself to die to myself and to live for Jesus. Whatever your vice is begins to die down as you live for Jesus because, because you're training die to self, live to Christ, die to self, live to Christ and I'm telling you, it works. Let's train ourselves to die to ourself and to live for Jesus. But look, I understand that if you're listening to this sermon it's really hard. Like, it's difficult. Like, this is a challenging sermon. And it would be easy to walk away from this service today and honestly be a little bit depressed. Like, you get home, you're like, hey, honey, how was church today? Oh, It was good. He told me to kill myself. I'm going to take a nap. You know, like, you're like, I don't know. This is really difficult. And the reality is, is that when Jesus dropped this bomb on his disciples, he knew that too. He knew he was giving them a hard saying. He knew that they needed some encouragement. And that's why this happens in chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, assuredly, I say to you that there is some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Why has he thrown that in there? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And all of his apostles and disciples, well, they, they died. They're not here anymore. I believe when we look at the, 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 the deeper context of the Bible, we'll understand what's going on. See, immediately after this, Jesus takes, them, takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain, and they experience what's called the transfiguration. So it's just a few days after this really hard teaching, Jesus takes his closest disciples on a mountain, and the same man who looks like a normal man The same man who said, my role is to go and suffer, to be rejected, and to die, the same guy who said, you need to die too, stands on this mountain, and all of a sudden, he begins glowing with beams of light. I mean, his face is shining. His clothes are white, and they're shining. All of a sudden, the same man who was just talking about death and, and brokenness and seeming defeat is showing God's glory. And I believe the reason that Jesus did this, and that Mark put this here, is that Jesus is wanting to tell his disciples and us something. That yes, the way to victory is through death. Yes, we have to die to ourselves. Yes, it may be difficult, but on the other side of it is glory. And just as Jesus died on a cross... Three days later, he rose again, not as a dead, broken, messed up, frail body, but in glory. Jesus is saying is that if you will die to yourself, your future is glory too. And I know that it's difficult, and I know that it's a hard saying, and I know that it's challenging, but it is worth it because my glory is awaiting you. And so suffering and death and self-denial and denying the pleasure of those pleasures of this world, I know that it's difficult, but it's all completely worth it. Because we begin to die to ourselves, we'll see God's glory now. Praise God, we'll see his glory in the future for eternity. That as you begin to die to yourself and live for Christ, God's glory will show up. As you die to yourself, patience will be placed in your heart you didn't know you had. As you die to yourself, love will begin to appear in your heart for your neighbor you didn't know you had. As you begin to die to yourself, you'll be able to bless your enemies and you didn't think you could do it. As you die to yourself, you'll be able to forgive those people who wronged you all those years ago and just let us let it go because you've died to yourself and you've lived for him. I wouldn't be surprised if the miraculous starts showing up in your life when you die to yourself and you live for Jesus. If God starts speaking through you, if people at your workplace start getting saved because of you, if your entire family's life is transformed and changed because of you, because you've decided to live a life that's not about me, but all about Jesus, no matter the cost. But praise God that when it's all said and done, one day Jesus is coming back. And after all of this suffering, after all of this denial, after all of this death, we're going to rise up out of the ground, glorified bodies just like him, and we are going to live forever. And the momentary suffering and affliction in this world won't even matter. It'll be in the past, and eternity is in the future with glory with God. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Make the decision, it's worth it. Die to yourself, it's worth it. It's all worth it. Don't fix your eyes on the things of this world that feel good right now. Look up and look into eternity. It's worth it. So as the band comes on the stage, would everybody in the room just stand? And in a moment, I'm gonna ask, everybody to step down into the altar and we're just gonna have a short time of prayer. But as you prepare to come down to the altar, I just wanna ask you, what needs to be crucified in your life today? What do you love more than Jesus today? What's taken the place of worshiping him and serving him? What do you need to die to? And if it's none of that, how do you need to practice? If you're not fasted in a while, challenge yourself to fast. If you're not given in a while, challenge yourself to give. If you're not served maybe in church or a local nonprofit, schedule a serving day. What do you need to do to train yourself to die to me and live for Him? So would everybody in the room, would you come down to the altar today? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings Our service times are 9 o'clock
1: and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.